Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Becky Gray is with us from time to time. Becky comes in and straightens me out on what's going on in the state of North Carolina across the country with regards to what's happening politically and in government. Becky, welcome to the program. Thank you, Don. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Well, it's always a pleasure to get straightened out and know what's going on. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. Well, Becky, usually, you know, uh, you know the, we've talked about uh, the fact that Becky works at what is called a think tank. And, uh, you know, I've always had this image for years and years that everybody that works at a think tank smokes a pipe and usually is a male. And neither of those is me. I noticed. I noticed. And you, but, you know, I guess you could smoke a pipe. I could. Now, I don't know that I can be a male, but, you know, done at a think tank, too. The other thing that we, we don't just sit around and think about stuff. What we hope to do is to give you ideas to, and, and our listeners to make them think about things. That is, you know, that is one of the things that gets lost on uh, legitimate lobbying is people fail to understand that this is a great source of information for legislators and because the legislator knows where they're coming from and they know they're going to advocate for a position. But they also, if it's a really good lobbyist or advocate for something, they present a reasonable picture and they're going to tell their story and they should. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And that's what we try to do. And actually... Part of my job at the John Locke Foundation is working very closely with legislators, with decision makers across the state, and that's what the goal is. It's that we we don't pretend to come in and tell anyone how to think about something. What we want to do is present information and different ways of thinking about things for consideration. And I know I've done my job when a lawmaker says to me, you've really made me think about this, maybe in a different way. Yes, well, you know, we both have friends who disagree with us, but as long as we're talking, we're okay. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, if, if you have an open mind and listen, it's amazing what you find out from time to time. And, you know, don't, don't you find, too, that you learn things and you're challenged? In many cases, you are more comfortable in your position when you talk to people who don't agree with you. Well, I've, I've been swayed to, to change my opinion. Me, too. To, I mean, you know, I, they're, they're, sometimes you just don't know the whole story and you think you do. And you say, oh, wait a minute, I didn't know that. Now, that changes where I'm standing. And we need more yeah. of that in yeah. this day and time. Uh, exactly, because uh, things do change, and uh, the world has to change with it. Uh, but uh, anyway, but one of the issues that's coming up, and we were talking about this before the program started, about redistricting, because this is a movement that has that has some uh, legs this time, I believe. It certainly seems to, and of course, this is after oh, well, I, I should set that up. What we're talking about is setting up, uh, 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 providing a legislation that will allow redistricting to be done by an outside body. Well, to be done by an outside body or, you know, what we're really talking about is reforming it so that one party or the other does not have complete control over it. Yes. And we saw a bill introduced just this week as the General Assembly is getting underway. I think that's a good start. But, you know, as you And it was bipartisan, I believe. Bipartisan, yeah, bipartisan support. Um, and I think we may see others, but this is a great first start to begin to talk about this. This is something we've been talking about for years. As a matter of fact, the John Locke Foundation has advocated for a fairer way of doing redistricting for probably 25 years. And now we advocated for that when the Democrats were in control, and we have advocated for that now that Republicans are in control. What we would like to see is more authority and more fairness for the voters across North Carolina rather than 
politicians picking their voters. And, you know, the interesting thing is uh, one of the things that I think has been kind of halfway fair about all this is the fact that when the Republicans began to change things, the, the first comments that came out of the Democrats was, I don't blame them. We did it. Right. I mean, you yes. know, nobody there is recognition. Yes, there is. Absolute, you know, those that are honest, yeah. you know, it is recognition. Now, you know, one of the claims is found from the Democrats is we did it for 140 years. But now with technology and the data and all that's available, this all this micro-targeting of people and being able to see from magazine subscriptions that they have the way that they might vote, you know, it, it has certainly advanced. Yeah. But, you know, the, I think that, Donna, I think you're right. I think the appetite to make some changes is certainly there. What I would like to see is the rules strengthened up. There's discussion of whether or not it should be an independent commission, whether that commission ought to be five members or 11 members or 20 members, who ought to appoint those members, what the distribution on a commission ought to be. I don't think that is really as important as the rules that are in place. And if we have tight rules where there is very little wiggle room, then I'm not sure who draws the map as as important as those rules are. Yeah, and that same technology that allows people to manipulate also has the ability to set up fairness. Exactly. I mean, because right. we do have all sorts of uh, 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 computer programs that can set up fair districts uh, on the state level, the congressional level. You know, we, this is on many levels here. We not only have the congressional levels, and of course, that's going to be complicated by the fact that chances are we're going to add a congressman in the next right, census. Right, right. A lot of people are moving uh, to North Carolina, yeah. so yeah, we are probably going to get more congressional representation, which is great for yeah. North Carolina. And, you know, Don, you're right. So we have it at the congressional, who represents us in Washington? We have it at the state level with our legislative maps, who represents us in Raleigh, but we also have it on the local level. Yes. As well, with city council districts and, you know, county commission districts, even school board districts, you have that redistricting. So to have those rules in place and the fairness, and we're not starting from square one. You know, in our state constitution, there are provisions for it. It starts to tell us how we are going to draw those maps. Um, we also have court cases going back to the early 2000s that draw, that have that criteria listed. And then there's a Supreme Court case right now that we're waiting to hear about political gerrymandering and hoping from some direction from the court, again, firming up those rules. What I'd like to see, too, is once we get all of the rules of how we're going to do this in North Carolina, to have it put into the Constitution. So it is not subject to a whim of the General Assembly. And again, you know, get the rules and get the rules right get them in place, and then then we can work out who's going to draw the maps. I don't think that is the important part of it. Again, I think the rules are the critical part of it. Becky, do you think, uh, this is a, kind of a wild statement, but do you think the present political party system that we've been uh, having since, I guess, the turn of the, uh, since the 1900s, is it obsolete? Are, are, we, are we beyond having two political parties which, um, the Democrats begin under more and more control of the left wing and the uh, Republican Party more and more control under the right wing, and the vast middle is sort of without authority. Well, I don't think that's a crazy question at all. I think it's something really to think about and, and to consider. 
you know, is it, we're not locked into this. I mean, it's just sort of evolved like it is that those are the two parties that have the most people. You know, in North Carolina, we now have, I forget, I mean, we've expanded that and allowed other parties to come in and register. So there's a Constitution Party, there's the Green Party. And yeah, and that's the biggest message right Mm -hmm. there. Voter registration today, Don, I believe the last time I checked it, unaffiliated are about a third of the voters yes um so you know does a party grow out of that um i like to think this thing is fluid and you know just because we've been doing it for 100 years doesn't mean this is the way we have to do it for the next 100 years what i don't want to see is some kind of mandate or so you know i'd like to see this thing grow organically and for voters and citizens to be able to frame these things they want to but that's part of some of these discussions at the general assembly too is when they're talking about everything from election board appointments even with this redistricting commission that has been floated the proposals have been well we'll have so many representatives from the republican party and so many from the democrat party and we're starting to hear unaffiliated voters and others say well wait a minute if you're just confining this to representation of the two major parties as we know it today what is this going to look like in perhaps the next election or certainly in five years ten years so i think we need to be fluid with it i think it's a good idea to look for that but i think it needs to grow as a response from what the voters want you know, more and more people are changing affiliation to unaffiliated, which allows you to vote in the primary of your choice each year. You can change. But here's what bothers me most about it. You have taken yourself out of the pool of possible candidates. That's true. And that, you know, that's a movement that yep. we might want to look at is, and we have had some unaffiliated voters, or I'm sorry, unaffiliated representatives in our General Assembly. Now, once they are elected to the General Assembly, they tend to caucus with yeah. one party and, or, and that's, or another. And that's okay. That, of course, no. of course, that's fine. You know, what the way that they identify with that. But um, I think that's something we clearly need to think about and make those options available if someone does not want to identify only with one party or the other. Well, we had, uh, we had the sad news of Walter Jones, and Walter Jones was a... A unique individual, started out as a Democrat, changed the Republican, but he never voted party lines with either party. No, and I think, you know, I mean, as we remember Walter Jones this week, I think that's one of the things that is brought up over and over again is that he voted with what he felt like, first of all, was true to his heart and his values, and of course then represented the people of his district very well. And I think that is commendable. I don't think that is, I mean, I don't see that as a criticism at all. I wish that we saw more of that and people really considering the issues and voting the way that that they believe it. And, you know, will that work? Is yep. you, you might hear from a beginning politician, yep. well, I can't do that because people will think I'm a flip-flopper or they won't know, you know, they won't understand a consistency and those kind of things. I think the admiration and, more importantly, the re-election of Walter Jones for, what was it, 25 years, yes. says this will work. Yes. Now, the, the problem with a fellow like Walter is he begins to not have any real say in his, in his own party, which means he does not have a lot of power to get appointments and things of that nature, which is which is sad. But uh, but he was a uh, – uh, and, of course, he was always known as a very kind individual. And uh, so we, we do kind remember it. Compassionate. Compassionate and, and compassionate. Yeah, it is going to be hard to fill – um, filled that seat, but the the voters of the third congressional district have come to expect, and as well they should, 
a certain level of representation. And so it is going to be tough for the next, whoever the voters choose, and I think they'll have a lot of choices, um, but it's going to be tough to fill those shoes. Becky Gray is our guest. She's the uh, Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation, and we'll be back with more here in Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mind. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Becky Gray is our guest, and uh, uh, we uh, have talked about all sorts of things. By the way, I want to mention and put a plug in for uh, your uh, appearances on North Carolina Spin. Thank you. Uh, North Carolina Spin uh, is now on public television and right. has a uh, more convenient schedule of times of its own. But that's the kind of program that I like because it, it represents, as we were talking about before, both sides of every issue. Right. And issues that are important to North Carolina. And we do. I mean, it's a great lineup of panelists with wide variety of backgrounds and experience and tom campbell the host of that show does a great job of bringing us together to have these very reasonable and you know don my favorite thing about it is i always learn so much and um so thank you for that it's great fun to do and i hope our our viewers our listeners will watch nc spin it is broadcast friday evenings at 7 30 on the public television station and it's on several other times too because it's uh, they you know public television has some other channels right and, yeah so check the listings yeah. and then there's also a youtube that you can watch from the nc spin website yep. as well well but, tom does a great job does with that great program job. and i think it's the kind of program that we need more of where uh, both sides are usually represented by very reasonable people who are not only talking and sharing their opinions, but also listening to the other panelists. Exactly. And we don't always agree yeah. on everything. We, you know, actually, the show is interesting because we don't agree yeah. on everything. But um, I know I always learn something. And so I hope that our listeners will become viewers of NC Spin. So thank you for that. Well, it's a great it's a great uh, service to the state. And I'm glad to, uh, it's on. And I'm, uh, I'm always proud of Tom. Tom. Tom and I go back a long way. That does not surprise me. Two outstanding broadcasters. 
Well, he's uh, he's uh, he's been very loyal to that program, and and it's uh, carried it through for I don't and know how long it's job. been on. Oh gosh, it's been on since the late nineties, I think. Um, I mean, Tom knows that. He says it's been on longer than Andy Griffin and I Love Lucy, and you know, it's met all kinds of benchmarks. And I don't see, you know, the the demand from the audience is is growing, and the move over to WUNC has been really good, and we've picked up a lot of viewers, I think, and sponsorships. And so it seems like it's just going to keep going and going, which is yeah. great. And there's, believe me, there's plenty to talk about. Yes, there always is. Well, speaking of having lots of things to talk about, let's talk about the General Assembly, the legislature. Uh, I, I never feel really safe when they're back in. And session. you should not. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, so what? Uh, what what's going to happen this year in the legislature? Well, you know, that's a good question. They're getting things underway. Um, This is the beginning of the two-year session. This is the beginning of the long session. So we're just kind of starting to see those things grind along. We're seeing bills filed. Some of the priorities that we're seeing defined, the governor has come out and said his number one priority for this session is Medicaid expansion. Um, A lot of people don't think this is a good idea. I happen to fall in the court of, I don't think this is a good idea. So it's a controversial issue one that other states have done and have run into problems with it. Healthcare, as we learned from the polling in the last election in November, healthcare is the number one issue of concerns for voters. And so the high cost of healthcare, the access to healthcare, and of course the quality of healthcare is something that is front and center and getting a lot of attention this session. Um, You know, another issue that really is getting a lot of attention and as redistricting as we talked earlier in the broadcast is one that we may really see some legs and that's reforms to our ABC our alcohol beverage control system Uh, this has been discussed the last couple years as we've seen the craft beer industry really grow in North Carolina wineries have always been we've had very fertile ground no pun intended Um, for wineries to grow in North Carolina. We're seeing that with the craft beer industry and also with the craft distillers industry. Um, And so as these new burgeoning companies come on board, what we're seeing is there are a lot of barriers and restrictions within the ABC system that if we were able to get those out of the way and restructure things, we would have more opportunities, more opportunities for entrepreneurs, more encouragement for people to not only start businesses, but to grow these businesses and also more consumer choice and more um, opportunities across the state in this particular industry. So that's something that is getting a lot of bipartisan interest. There's a lot of agreement that we need to do some things to change that. And so there's, we're going to be seeing some legislation in the next couple of weeks that I think is going to really expand on that idea. So uh, I don't know if you've uh, done work on this. Maybe you have or, or maybe you just know. Uh, either way, it will help me. Okay. Uh, what are some other states doing that we ought to look at as a possible change? As some with the alcoholic ABC, beverage yeah. system, um, North Carolina is. You know, we are unique in that we have local boards that control our ABC system. We are one of the few control states that the government controls all of the distribution. You know, we and some have a, of that's county and some of that's city, and that's also a problem, right? Right, yeah. And, you know, so you have all kinds of issues with patronage, with appointments of the ABC boards. Um, it's very tightly controlled. It's very, the way the system is developed, it's very difficult for these small companies, these small distillers, to get the shelf life, to get their products in the stores. It's all very tightly controlled 
by the government in other states. You know, there, and then, John, that's the great thing about looking at some of these issues is different states do it different ways. And South so, Carolina what, has private ownership of liquor right, stores, for Yes, example. and and some states have almost complete privatization. Others, it's sort of a hybrid where you have the state licensing all of the ABC outlets so that there is that control, but there is more opportunity for competition. It's not all controlled. The state government doesn't own every ABC store. They don't control the flow of everything. So there's lots of opportunities out there. There's lots of models to look at to say, okay, you know, we want to do these three things from South Carolina. We don't want to do this from Washington State. New York has some good things we could adopt here. So we can put together a unique North Carolina plan that would work best, really borrowing the best ideas from other states. So the Program Evaluation Division at the General Assembly has just released a new report with a lot of these recommendations of things that could be done in North Carolina. The ABC system itself has just released their annual report. So we're getting a real idea of how the money flows, what that revenue looks like. Um, and again, there is a strong bipartisan effort at the General Assembly to really take a look at this. So I think we're going to hear more conversation about that as the session goes on. Well, and of course, uh, the way that the uh sale of alcoholic beverages happened in North Carolina was hodgepodge because each county and, and in many cases each municipality had a different set of rules. I mean, especially back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, there was uh, no sale in some counties. There was beer only. There was uh, ABC stores. Yes. I mean, we still see that patchwork across the state. And of course, North Carolina has a long history of um, opposing, <clears throat> or I'm sorry, being in favor of prohibition. I think we were one of the last states in the nation to begin to sell alcohol again. Um, and there has always been a control. You know, we, we are a religious state. We're a very principled state. And there has been concern about the proper amount of control over alcoholic beverages, you know, who they're served, where they're served, those kind of things. And so part of this discussion is um, opening up this market so that companies can grow and there's a lot of opportunity for people but at the same time recognizing that this is a product that needs to be controlled um, and there's different structures with the alcohol law enforcement with regular local police officers we have a lot of enforcement laws on the books one of the things that's come up in this discussion is let's make sure that the laws that we have on the books are properly enforced and so you'll also probably be hearing some of those things along with this discussion. Well, that will be uh, something interesting to watch because uh, it will still be controversial. Right, and a lot of bipartisan yeah. support on yeah. this and, and bipartisan interest. So this is not a Republican-Democrat yeah. thing by any means. So uh, we've named two things, Medicare and uh, uh, health care uh, and ABC. What else? Well, you know, and, uh, first redistricting. Right, and, uh, yes, redistricting. So those are, you know, three big issues. But, you know, here's something else to remember. The biggest thing that the General Assembly does in their function defined under our state constitution is the General Assembly is the appropriator of all of the tax revenue that comes in. You know, they get the money and then they decide where it's spent. And so those budget questions and the bu budget that is put together um, every biennium for the, um, for the whole state is key to what the General Assembly does. And, Don, we've seen several changes over the last several years. We've had transformational tax reform in North Carolina. So from the revenue cent side of it, where we're getting our money, 
Um, again, we've had transformational tax cuts. We've had regulation. We've had better investments. And all of this has led to tremendous economic growth in North Carolina. What that means is, is then we have more money coming into the state coffers. Um, the latest numbers I've seen, I think we have close to $200 million surplus is expected during this next fiscal year. As that money comes in, one of the questions is, okay, what are we going to do with that money? Now, a lot of Republicans are saying we should have further tax cuts, give that money back to the taxpayers. What we're hearing from Democrats is we ought to spend that money on growing government programs. What the John Lott Foundation and others are considering or recommending is we need to replenish our savings account and be really smart as we have been the last several several years. You may recall that because of the smart fiscal decisions, the growing economy, we have been having surplus revenue that has gone into a savings account that until several months ago was sat at $2 billion dollars largest in the state history. That's about 10% of our entire state budget. This is the direction we want to go, having that money set aside for a rainy day. Well, what happened back in the late summer, early fall, was we had those rainy days. We had these hurricanes that came in. Thank goodness we had that money set aside in that savings account. They've spent about $850 million of that, Don, for hurricane recovery for water and sewer repairs, for making sure that businesses can stay open and people can get on their feet in response to this. Um, and, and thank goodness that was there. Thank goodness these decisions have been made. But what we need to do now is we need to replenish that rainy day fund and bring that back up to that $2 billion mark. You just uh, timed me out almost perfectly for this segment. Uh, Becky Gray is our guest, and we'll be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers, and we'll continue to look at what's going to happen in the legislature and also what's going to happen nationally that might affect North Carolina. And we'll do that in the next segment right after these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. But I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Becky Gray is our guest. She's the Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation, uh, which is an advocacy group. Uh, 
and uh, based here in Raleigh. How long has John Locke Foundation been around? Almost 30 years. Yeah. And we're only here in North Carolina. And you, you've been there how long? I've been there about 10 years. And so you started when you were 14? That's correct. Yes. I thought, I thought that was, I thought <laughs> that is was, correct. I Thank thought you. that was the case. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and I'm 68 years old, and that's my story, and I'm sticking and, to it. And I am sticking to it as well. Yeah, well, it's, you know, we can live in our own little world. <laughs> okay, um, partisanship. Uh, you know, we is it getting better or worse on the state level? Is it getting better or worse on the national level? Where, where does North Carolina stand on uh, Donald Trump? Uh, where do we stand uh, – on uh, the prospects of the next election and so forth, uh, put your uh, uh, look at your crystal ball and give me some forecast on what people are thinking and and uh, uh, what's what's in people's heads these days. Well, Donovan, I knew the answer to that. Um, I'd be making a million dollars. I'll, well, I'll tell you that. Make up something. Um, I mean, you know, give, I, give I, me some I, good fake news. I, I mean, I, that's, we need some good fake news. Well, I don't have any fake news, but I do. You know, I mean, this is something that we've all been thinking about and talking about. So, I'll, you know, give you some of my thoughts on it. Um, you know, as far as support for the president, uh, North Carolina voted for President Trump. Um, polls and all that I've seen, his approval rating and his support rating here in North Carolina is about the same as it is across the country. Um, you know, I've been a little bit surprised at some of the things that Donald Trump has done, thinking this is it. You know, his his base is not going to stick with him through this. And what happens consistently is they have this latest um, budget discussion in Washington with his insistence on money to build the wall. I mean, it looks like there's going to be be a deal that goes through that is going to please a lot of people. Um, I think North Carolina, is, from what I see, is trending pretty much like the rest of the country is. The partisan divide is does not seem to me to be quite as... Um, quite as wide in North Carolina as it is at the national level, but I really focus on statewide issues. And there are a lot of things, as we've mentioned today, that there's agreement between the parties, redistricting, um, I think a smart budget, a focus on education, um, addressing the health care issues and how we're going to get there, um, you know, making North Carolina the land of opportunity. There are a lot of common interests there. Um, addressing some of the health care needs. I think I mentioned that. Um, you know, property protections, eminent domain. I mean, you know, a lot of the issues that we're talking about this session, there seems to be pretty clear bipartisan support. But then in some areas, I think the divide is at least as wide as it is on the national level. And we've seen this through some of the discussions around elections. When we were talking about voter ID and the requirement for the constitutional amendment, we saw that very partisan divide. Um, during, I will tell you, during this recent um, upheaval that we have had in the North Carolina Supreme Court, and there has been a lot of disappointment that they believe, many believe that Governor Roy Cooper is politicizing the courts with his appointment, with skipping over what traditionally would have been the next choice for the to fill the chief justice seat with a Republican, Paul Newby, and instead going to the youngest member of the Supreme Court, which is a member of the Democratic Party, who he will choose to then replace that other seat on the Supreme Court. Um, There's some real unrest with these decisions just in the last week or two, and a concern that we're pulling the courts more to a partisan divide, which I don't think is healthy for anybody. I don't think it's healthy for the system. 
um, some concern there. So where you really see the partisan divide in North Carolina is around these election issues. Uh, We've had a big controversy recently about who's going to sit on the elections commission and what that looks like. Um, So I think it's a reality in this day and time, and I think that we're going to have to accept that for many, this is part of it. You know, Don, when I started doing this, and I've been involved with work at the General Assembly for probably 20 years, and when I started this at the General Assembly, there were there were some people that were on the far left and the far right, but the majority of the members of the General Assembly were in the middle. And so there was a lot of room for at least discussion. A lot of the members of different parties were close personal friends. Um, I don't see that as much anymore. And I see more, many more on the far left and the far right and fewer in the middle. And I think that is does not serve us well. That's why some of the conversations that you and I have had today, the things that we do on NC Spin, I know your commitment to sitting down, talking about things in a reasonable way and using Walter Jones and former Governor Hunt and former Governor Martin as models of how to be states men and women and really move things in North Carolina in a positive way and remember that we are North Carolinians first. Well, we always seem to get along better when both sides listen to each other. And uh, uh, Governor Holzhauser is another one we'll be able to mention in that group because he did uh, some of the same stuff. And uh, I'm going to change the subject on you a little bit because I want to get your take on this. Uh, A very interesting thing happened this week in that Amazon, which had announced for the Queens uh, or Long Island um, um, in New York with a huge tax incentive, uh, has pulled out because of uh, rebellion from a, uh, a relatively small group of people. Uh, what does this uh, tell us about how people feel about tax incentives? And and uh, are, is North Carolina back in the mix? I am delighted to see this news coming out of North Carolina. Now, you know, just to put things in perspective, you said there was a lot of money that was involved in this. $3 billion yes. in taxpayer money was diverted from Things like, I mean, you know, New York's a great example. Um, they have all kinds, of, their subway system is crumbling. They have tremendous needs to bring all the visitors, all the people, all the people trying to get to work, tourists in New York. You know, they need all these repairs to what is the critical vein there in the subway system. They've also had to increase the tuition at um, some of the universities within New York. So those needs are not being met, but yet they are giving $3 billion to Amazon. Um, I think this has really raised the recognition. Which makes a little bit of money by themselves. I mean, Amazon makes a little money. Do they? Yes. Yeah. Do, you yeah, don't think I, they yeah, need I, that $3 I don't, billion? Yeah, dollars? Exactly. But, you know, but let's be honest. If somebody's going to hand you $3 billion and you're a pretty smart business person oh, who has built to. a company like Amazon, who's going to say no? The problem is not with Amazon accepting it. Hey. The problem is with somebody taking money yep. out of someone else's pocket and handing it to Amazon. Exactly. Now, will this raise awareness in North Carolina? You know what, Don? I hope so. And what I hear over and over again, I actually wrote a column probably 15 years ago, and the title of the column was... That was when you were 14. Exactly. Um, Just learning to write. Uh, But the title of the column was, Dear Legislator, Don't Be a Butt. And the but is when you go to legislators and say, you know, this is not the best way to spend taxpayer money, they will say... You are absolutely right. I agree with the policy, but 
We have to do it because everybody else does. We have to do it if we want to compete. Well, what if we in North Carolina signed an agreement with other states, and I'm guessing New York might be interested in talking about this right now. What if we signed an agreement with other states that we're not going to do this? We're all going to compete on lower taxes, fewer regulation. I mean, nobody can compete with North Carolina with natural resources. Nobody can compete with North Carolina with well-skilled workforce, with our university system, um, with our tax system, low unemployment. You know, let's put it all out there without having to bribe companies and let's compete for those businesses. And, you know, what I'd like to see, and there's talk of this, there has been for years, of um, a, a group of states in a particular region, because really, you know, we're not competing against Oregon. We're not competing against Nevada. We're competing against Georgia, South Carolina, Virginia, Florida to some degree. You know, what if all of us in the Southeast got together, signed a compact and said, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to present this as a block to these companies, international companies, companies across the country, um, and encourage them to come to our area, and we're going to give them our best shot that does not involve taking taxpayer money, and we're going to spend our taxpayer money for public safety, for education, to build infrastructure, to do those things that is really what companies are looking for anyway. Well, it, it, it's one of these things that has gotten way out of hand. You know, it's one thing to build a road to an isolated piece of land uh, where a lot of people are going to work because that's infrastructure. Right. And, and then if the company leaves, you've got something yeah, left yes. that is of value. Yeah. I mean, so there are some incentives that everybody could agree that we can all do, uh, build the infrastructure, yeah, get water commu- sewage. A community yeah. college program yeah. that would be geared towards training whatever those workforce needs are for, you know, a high-tech company. If that company pulls out, those people who have attended those community college training programs, they've got that to go and market to someone else. You know, you mentioned our university system. It brings me up to the the, the usual thing that I usually say. People in North Carolina just do not understand uh, fully uh, to the extent with which the rest of the country envies our university system and is one of the best, and our community college system as well. Both of them are the envy of most states in the union, and for some reason or other, we keep wanting to tinker with it. I think that is a very bad decision. Um, You know, we have built a wonderful tradition. As you said, it is the envy of other states. Um, I think people move to North Carolina to take advantage of our university system. I know companies move here to take advantage of the workers that are coming, the students that are coming out of our community college programs and our university systems. Um, You know, nothing's perfect. Of course, there are things that we can do better. We always want to be open to those things, particularly in the area of education. I mean, there's innovation, there's new programs, there's new technology, new jobs are opening up. We want to make sure that we're at the forefront of all of those. And that means always being open to making improvements. But I think that you need to be really, really careful when you start messing around with the fundamental foundation that has been built here in North Carolina. And Don, we've talked about this off the air. We've talked about it on the air. And I share your concerns as well. And I hope that the General Assembly, um, as we're going through this transition, particularly at the university level, with the loss of our president of the university, loss of the chancellor at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, I think we still have an interim chancellor at Western Carolina um, University. 
you know, to get the right leadership in here. And um, again, you know, there there are transitions and we need to be responsive to that, but we also need to do it in a responsible way and to protect this great investment that the people of North Carolina have made for a hundred plus years. Becky Gray is our guest, and we have one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers coming up right after these messages. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team, but I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. We want to hire you. You're you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers for this particular day. Uh, our reminder that this program uh, has two different uh, versions. One is a full hour, actually 45 minutes of content. The other is a 30-minute version. A number of our stations that carry the program carry the 30-minute version. If you'd like to hear the rest of the content, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear that content. Uh, that you might miss on the 30-minute version. Did I explain that well? I think people might possibly know what I said. I'm not sure. Becky Gray is our guest. She's the Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation. We've talked about all sorts of things about the General Assembly being in session. Uh, We've talked about the issues of redistricting, health care, Medicare expansion. We've talked about... uh, uh, we uh, tax incentives. We've covered a lot of things. We have. We like to talk. So uh, yes, <laughs> and uh, so um, uh, and we've talked about partisan politics and how that uh, is a great concern right now. So what do you think is going to happen here in the next uh, uh, six months, uh, both on the uh, state level and the national level? The General Assembly, as we've said, is in session, and we've already talked a little bit about it. But what do you think is going to come out of this? Um. Well, you know, of course, it's still early. I think that we'll have some movement on these ABC reforms, as we've talked about. I think we're going to continue to talk about the storms that have hit North Carolina and that recovery. That is still a big deal, um, Don. Even though, as we mentioned earlier, $850 million has gone to help those communities, the question remains, what do we do so that the next time, not when, we don't know when, but we do know it will it again. How are we going to grow from this, learn from mistakes that have been made, and really put in place a more sustainable plan, whether it's 
what home you live in, whether you live in a flood zone, what kind of insurance you might need to cover. So I think we're going to see some talk about that. Also, infrastructure. You know, how many times are we going to build in rebuilding some of those roads on the eastern part of the coast that are just continually washed away? A lot of questions about that, I think, will be addressed during this session. Um, From a fiscal standpoint, I'll be honest with you. I mean, if they do nothing different, if they just let the reforms that have taken place over the last several years, if they let the new 2019 tax reductions that are already in place, if they go ahead and make good and they have made promises that teachers will get another pay increase this year to bring the average teacher pay up to $55,000 a year, if they do nothing new this General Assembly session, I really think that's a win for North Carolina and North Carolina taxpayers. Our economy's doing great. Unemployment is the lowest it's been in decades. More people are working. More people are able to provide for themselves and their families. There are more educational opportunities available to families. Um, community college tuition is low. We're leaders, we mentioned earlier in the broadcast, with higher education. You know, things are really, really good in North Carolina, and sometimes you just sit back and let things go. Now, you asked about the national level. Something that I think we're going to see here in North Carolina is now that um, Walter Jones and a seat is available, we'll be looking in ways that that will be filled. Also, this controversy with the North Carolina 9 Congressional District, the um, the investigation seems to be going on. And so I think that the two empty seats in the United States Congress in North Carolina, that we will move forward with that. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if we have a new election in the District 9, or even if we don't, how that will play out and whether Mark Harris will indeed be the representative from that district, and then some new leadership and soon some new names that we may learn as that con- North Carolina Congressional District 3 moving more towards that. Um, now, we're apparently past the government shutdown threat, but now President Trump has uh, invoked this idea of maybe declaring this uh, emergency, uh, national emergency uh, provision uh, as a way of getting his, quote, fence. Uh, we're not quite sure what a fence is anymore, uh, but uh, uh, but uh, my question is, does North Carolina really care a lot about this? I mean, you know... Uh, uh, about the border wall? Yeah. Of course, it doesn't directly affect us. We're not a border state. Yes. It's not like we're Texas, you know, or New Mexico or, um, you know, those states that ha- will literally have that wall going through their southern border. Um, but a lot of these controversies, a lot of these things, the perception of Trump, you know, is he making good on his deal? I don't know what's going to happen with this ultimately, Don, but what I really do believe is that President Trump is going to continue to push and push and push and push push. He made promises to the American people. He made promises to his base, and he intends to keep those promises. And he is not somebody who is going to be satisfied. So whether what the ultimate outcome of this wall controversy is, I think he's going to get I think he's going to get what he wants, you know, by hook or by crook. But I don't think that he's going to sit back then and, you know, kind of cross his arms and say, "Okay, we're done here. I think he's going to continue to push and continue to push. And whether that's with tax cuts, whether that's with opening up the health care market and rolling back to the extent that he can some of the Obamacare provisions uh, we're talking about. 
um, investments in infrastructure across the country and what that looks like. And then there's also this whole thing of the globalization, the um, national security, and then the trade policy that he has. So I think, you know, I don't see things slowing down in Washington. We may finish with the wall, but we're going to go on to something else. And this is going to be, I believe, is going to be the entire Trump presidency, whether that's four years or whether that's eight years. Well, it's interesting. And I've sort of maybe made a statement that I, I don't know enough about the fence issue for me to have a position. I mean, I really don't. I've heard pros and cons about whether it would be effective or not, and I, I, I'm not advocating for either one. I do am kind of concerned about invoking this national emergency provision to get it built. That seems to be kind of uncharted territory yes. and where you go. And we're already hearing, okay, if he's allowed to do this on this issue, what would it look like if we get a Democrat president on particular issues that Republicans would vehemently disagree with? I think sometimes you have to be careful of the precedent that you set. I don't know enough about it either, but that was a red flag to me of let's be careful how we proceed with this. Unintended consequences can sometimes have very long-term, very expensive um, effects, and I think we want to be careful with that. But you know, he is determined to get this wall, and um, well, you know, a, so you know, we'll, great we'll statement. Soon. People always say, "Be careful what you ask for; you may get it." Right. And, uh, yeah. and like, again, red flags. Yeah, and I'm yeah. always one. You know, I'd probably be accused of being too cautious, doing a little bit too much research. But I think with some of these big decisions, it's not just what you get immediately, but what does it open the door for for later? And I always think it's important, whether this is a local government, whether it's a state government or whether it's a federal government, you know, be careful what you do and always ask yourself, what if the situation were reversed? What would this enable my opponent to do? Um, you know, again, be careful what you wish for and be careful what doors you open. Well, you know, the thing that, uh, and I think John Kennedy is the one that said this, you know, when he walked down the street, he says, I've got to remind myself that I meet 10 people. Five of them didn't vote for me. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Trump's election was, the, he lost the popular vote. I mean, you know, so he won the electoral vote. Right. And so uh, there's know, a, yeah, there's the political implications, certainly yeah, with this, yeah. but there's also the policy implications. Yeah. Becky, thank you so much for being with us. Becky Gray, the Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or listen to the segments that you might have missed, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Our program has been produced by the one and only Jason Coggin. He'll have another guest for us again next week on this same group of stations. Till next week, same time, same stations. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.